You're listening to Future Theater Radio with Bill and Nancy Burns right here on the Dark Matter Radio Network and PSN Radio. Hi, everybody. It is the next to last Monday in August, August 24th, 2015, and we are your co-hosts, Bill, that's me, and Nancy. Mm, that's me. <laughs> Burns, and we are broadcasting on Future Theater Live from the banks of Primrose Creek in beautiful downtown Sobury, Pennsylvania, on the Dark Matter Digital Network and PSN Radio. This is Future Theater, and our producer is Angela Espino. Say hello, Angela Espino. That's me. Hello, Angel Espino. Hello, Angel Espino. And tonight, we are talking about the problems, the issues of PTSD with psychiatrist John Liebert, and we have a special guest, John. I'm not sure of John's last name. Well, let me tell you why about that, because John, well, it's James, not John. James. James. I'm sorry. And James had, uh, you know, he certainly has given me his real name, and we've kind of compared stories and stuff. And you see his lovely photo on futuretheater.com there with Steve Martin. So that was taken a few years ago. Um, James has put in many, many, many years as a soldier, okay, and can talk tonight about PTSD because he works hard to try to help the situation with other people. But if we don't give his whole name... It's possible that he might also talk to us about other things that he has hinted about back in the days when we used to have Bella Haven. He used to call in, and we had a kind of a casual show in which we could let people talk as long as they felt like it, okay? Because we didn't have plans. We didn't have other guests. And he has said the most intriguing things, and so with his permission, by not giving his last name, he might be able to talk about some of that stuff. And you guys... We'll just love to talk about that stuff. It's about weaponry and. Well, they, one of the. No, yeah. go ahead. I, no. I was going to say one of the uh, one of the reasons that we're bringing this up is, <clears throat> two years ago, or maybe three three years ago, we did a show with uh, Mark Eisenhower. Mark Eisenhower's son Josh Eisenhower was a Afghan war veteran. He was a staff sergeant. And he suffered some terrible wounds. I mean, a, a wounds where he was carrying uh, his unit, had to save a, a unit, a patrol of Afghan soldiers that was trapped by the Taliban. And he single-handedly had to carry on his shoulder well over 100 pounds of ammunition because they had run out of ammo. And he had to carry it up a hill. He did. They repulsed the attack. But in the process, he'd separated his shoulder very badly. I mean, it was a terrible, a terrible um, wound that he got. And the army patched it together. But the wound became infected. They had metal bolts in his shoulder muscles. They began to move. They were hitting his bone. And it was really a mess. And he was on serious painkillers. And while all this was happening, he was uh, he had been ordered by at at this forward operating post. Uh, uh, he had been ordered to pull some of the sentries off the perimeter to police up the area. The 
captain was upset right. the area was getting dirty. So he pulled right. off the sentries. As a result, they, um, a Taliban uh, a truck driver dressed in an Afghan army uniform driving one of our army trucks came onto the base, blew the truck. If It was a suicide bomber. And the very people that were supposedly policing up the area that were sentries, they were blown to pieces. And it was, it was uh, Josh Eisenhower's job. These were his men, and it was his job to match the body parts with the bodies so really? they could be – yes. And he had terrible, terrible PTSD. I mean, awful. When he finally was released into a warrior transition unit at Fort Bragg, he was still suffering. He'd begun to drink. He was on psycho um, – Antipsychotic drugs, heavy antipsychotic drugs. And they were prescribed by the military? They were prescribed by the army. He wasn't getting treated. He was just given drugs to uh, ease the pain from his shoulder, and he was, and he was hallucinating. But and wait, he was but wait. Alone. Boy, we're going to talk about this a lot tonight. So you're saying that when you say antipsychotic, is that a side effect of the painkillers? No. These are separate drugs. They're called SSRIs. John will explain it. John Leary will explain it, what these drugs do. And they are drugs that stop the uptake of certain neurochemicals that generate hallucinations, auditory hallucinations, visual hallucinations. In the middle of the night, what had happened was what precipitated this story was that Josh Eisenhower had been smoking on the balcony of this apartment. He'd broken up with his fiance. He was living alone. He shouldn't have been living alone, but he was living alone. And he left a smoldering cigarette on the balcony. Someone smelled smoke from the cigarette, called the fire department. The fire department came. Eisenhower was in a deep, deep drug-induced sleep. The, they came, they began banging on the door, and he thought the Taliban, he thought he was back in Afghanistan and the Taliban was attacking. Mm -hmm. And since he was so psychotic, he was so suffering so much from PTSD, he kept his loaded handgun under his pillow. He thought he was going to be attacked. He fired. He started screaming, somebody get the roof, somebody get the roof. He thought the Taliban was attacking and he fired his weapon well the cop shot him and that and he was uh, brought to trial he was given a plea deal if he just pled guilty to firing at a police officer i mean nobody was hurt he was the only person wounded how badly wounded not badly at all but enough that it was a wound he's and they said look you'll get 73 the prosecutor said you'll get 73 months in jail You'll probably get some time off for, uh, for good behavior. Just save yourself a lot of trouble. And he took the plea deal. The judge, after he pled guilty, rejected the plea deal and assigned him and, and sentenced him to 10 to 18 years in jail. This is what a combat veteran gets. But why did the judge do that? Does because there... some idiot judge who felt he needed to teach somebody a lesson. So even though on the basis of a plea deal, on the basis of an agreement with the prosecutor, he pled guilty, the judge threw it out and used that guilty plea to sentence him to between 10 and 18 years in jail. It is a horror story. Well, you were going to have him on as well tonight. I was going to have his father on, Mark Eisenhower, but uh, I couldn't raise him. 
and Josh's cousin, who's my editor at Skyhorse and John's editor at Skyhorse for the book Wounded Minds, uh, she said she couldn't make it tonight. So um, I'm going to have John on and uh, James on to talk about the problems of PTSD, to talk about this particular case and anything that James also brings up. And that's the funny thing about James. He's been an amazing guest the few times he's been on. And I have a feeling with the two of you and, of course, Angel, um, three guys. guys And Lieber. Well, that's what I'm saying, the two of you. Uh, Lieber, right, John right. Liebert, and uh, but just guys talking to guys, you will get such interesting things because James has been a soldier his whole life, it looks like. But after he did military service for our country, he eventually became a private contractor, which is full of interesting information, you know. Um, and so he's kind of been there, as you can see from the photo, during the whole Gulf War buildup, I guess. Um, before that. Was there a lull between Korea or between Vietnam and the Gulf War? Probably not. Well, but the only thing that happened be- between the two was the Kosovo War in the 1990s. But Bill, Clint- Bill Clinton's war. Right. Bill okay. Clinton's but that. War. But in the in terms of the kinds of P- the, this particular problem, PTSD. It is becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. And I, I wonder as a civilian, uh, and this is what James brings to the table, is the, are the wars different now? Is it harder to come back now that we have a, a what, a professional um, army team, basically, professional army people instead of draft? Well, that right? was the issue. That was the issue in Vietnam. This country was fighting a war in Vietnam and – Obviously, your personal experience, um, because of Dave, our soldiers would go over there and go through hell in Vietnam. And, and we like to back. say to right, and we like to say to Angel, you would be a wholly different person if you had to worry about the draft from the minute you turned of age. Oh my God! No uh-huh. kidding. You know, it's funny that we were talking about this tonight. I just recently saw probably the best movie of 2015, what? and uh, it it deals with the draft. Um, what? Ironically enough, it's called Little Boy. Oh, I saw that. As I didn't see the movie, but is it good? It is incredibly good. Phenomenal, phenomenal acting in that movie. Uh, the worst actor in the movie is Kevin James. Wow. That's saying wow. a lot. Yeah. Everybody, wow. everybody else is just incredible. The little kid. Well, in little the movie, boy is phenomenal. about the. Is Little Boy about the bomb? No. It, well, it's about the world, Second World War. This is uh, Father uh, Michael Rappaport plays the father. And uh, his older son is trying to get enlisted in the draft because he doesn't want the father to go. Because then, back then, either the father or the oldest son or you know, right. somebody in the family had to go. So right. if the father would go, then the son would be spared. If the son would go, the father would be spared, yada, yada, yada. The son was already 18. He was mm-hmm. trying to get enlisted. He didn't make it because he was flat-footed. So they didn't take him, and they drafted the father. And the whole story is about the little boy, his younger son, who was about maybe four or three or four at the time. And his younger son's relationship with the father, you know, he was really small for his age. People picked on him. Actually, he might have been like eight, might have been a little bit older, but he just looked like he was four. He looked really, really tiny. And everybody would pick on him and stuff, you know, they would be bullied and and whatnot. And the father gets drafted, and that was his best friend. That was his hero. And his father gets drafted and goes to war and gets captured by the Japanese. And he disappears. 
and eventually they tell the family that they you know that his body was found that he's dead and it's the, the whole process of the boy dealing with you know losing his father and trying right. to bring him back and there's a lot of uh, really magical stuff in the movie it's like it's one of those movies when you watch it you're like i'm watching an instant classic like that comes yeah, out yeah 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 it's a very very well done movie well speaking of instant classics last week uh right after let's see last wednesday Bill and James Sanders, and you know Jim Sanders from being on the show uh, here at Future Theater, they were on Art Bell on Wednesday. True, right. Okay? And I think that it was, uh, Jim was very poorly treated by, I hate to say this, my friends at Bell Gab because, for a bunch of reasons, I don't really know the reasons why, but I know that having no history on Jim Sanders, having no history on TWA Flight 800, Young new listeners to Art Bell, when they heard Jim Sanders tell a story, it's almost unbelievable that a person would have to fight the government for so many right. years. And believe me, believe me, he's a right wing guy, and I'm and we're left wing people, and we all fought together uh, on this. This was this was an affront to journalism more than anything else. That's why you you have to fight the fight to save whatever journalism there is. But by the time he's there telling his story on Art Bell. There are people who say, I'm a film expert. I can tell you that film is a fraud. And they're so used to saying that every time there's a UFO film because it's easy to fraudulate. It's easy right. to, I'm clowning. It's not the right word. I know this. People don't seem to, A, have a sense of humor and B, know much about anything. None. But right. yep. I was frustrated by the fact that if anybody had been able to check, they could see that Jim's credentials and all the credentials involved in the Flight 800 story are of the, the highest caliber if you know how to look. They're not made up things. They're not made up organizations NBC, CBS, all this stuff. I mean, having to fight big media, Jim has fought the good fight, and he's got the records to prove that he was well, right all along. I wouldn't take and what happened on Bill Gab that much to heart. I wish uh, I had listened to you when you said that, like, what, two years ago? Well, here's the reason why I say yeah. that. Um, Art Bell's good friend, Richard C. Hoagland, has the show after his show, right? When we had Richard on Skywatchers, I got lit up, and Richard got lit up on Bell Gap. Like, they were going at us, like, toe-to-toe, so they don't really, you know, they have, they judge everybody, basically. They have. Yeah, but that's, that's my, okay, so since you bring up Hoagland, I will then continue with my diatribe, and it goes like this. I get in trouble if I say anything negative, but it goes like this. Be positive, Nancy, be positive. Well, I'm, I am, I'm trying to be, and here's what it is. You have set yourself out with Skywatchers. And I said this when I was, um, and I love my little spot. I do my little news spot on every like third or so Wednesday, right? Right. Fourth right, Wednesday, right, right. something. So I'm, the Nancy I'm, Burns experience. I love that. I didn't want to say it, but I love that. That's really cool. But and so I'm doing my little spot, and I do bring up what I think is an important topic, and I think somebody's got to bring it up. There's Sky Watchers saying there's. Sasquatch, not Sasquatch. No, 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 Sam no. Batch Squatch. Batch Squatch. Batch Squatch. That's what right. I start saying. That's our saying that we say when we don't believe a story. Right. Or don't believe a person. Or, yeah, you know, we just, we don't believe it. We and in the Squatch. earliest, earliest days of ufology, okay, from when the first flying saucers were seen in the 40s and people had publications and they didn't have, really well, had radio shows. There, was, there were people calling Bat Squatch. Whenever right. they could. And then there were people who would say, look, I will, I will let 
some of the weirdos on, and let's talk about them. And that's how you get your long John Nebel, who starts out by letting the weirdos on. And then little by little, if you stay true to Batsquatch, if you stay true to, I'm going to call it, if it's completely crazy, but... You know, if there's a world of, op- you know, it's a big world out there. Who knows? Maybe everybody's not crazy. Maybe the people who are seeing UFOs are telling the truth. And so you basically build that kind of show or build that kind of magazine or build that kind of, what else? TV right. show, radio Persona. show. Whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. You, you need to say it when you know for a fact that so-and-so, you heard him in the men's room saying, boy, I've just, I've just roped it another 300. So you, so you should honor at least the attempt to call Batsquatch. I'm not saying that everybody that's been on Future Theater has been legit. Oftentimes, right, right, right. And, and I'm not saying that everybody that we put on the cover of UFO Magazine was legit. But time and time again, if we found that we had been hoodwinked, and we were hoodwinked a lot, especially during my reign, we would then <laughs> say, okay, the, the, like this woman said, I'm going to be dead and I'm going to bring down flying saucers and they're all coming down and I'm going to be dead and, uh, after they come down. And so we put her on the cover and, you know, people went at it and said, you know, and she didn't die and it turned out to be a big old lie. So we told people that. Similarly, there are UFO stories that nobody can disprove. They are, right, they are right. standing the test of time. And, and, and it only takes one white crow, as Richard C. Hoagland keeps talking about, one white crow. Uh, and then you've got your story. So, you know, talk to Bruce Maccabee. Talk to Stanton Friedman. You will, ha- mm-hmm. you, you will come up with nuggets. But it seems like people are now just letting the fabricators, the, the ones who are making up the fun stories... Because they believe it, because they're insane, or because it's so much fun, or some such thing. I just feel it's it's making it so that the audience we're trying to reach can't tell the difference anymore. Because I was hearing, I was, I got, I just heard such nasty stuff all week long that seems to have been. If you believe Hoagland, then you can't believe uh, Sanders. Uh, I know that sounds crazy, but that it does but, because they're not talking about the same thing. At but all. they're both mentioning uh, sources in the media. They're both mentioning photography. They're both mentioning uh, what the government says versus what the government doesn't say. And, and they right. talk about paperwork and stuff. And so if you don't know how to do your own research, if you don't know how to go past Google page one, you're kind of screwed. You know, you're, gonna, you're not going to know the truth when it comes out. And, and I, I, w- I was sad about that, and so that's my rave for the moment. Um, it's, there's nothing I can do about it except so, say to you, Angel, keep trying to. Somebody's got to watch. be the. Yeah, somebody's got to be the um, the sentinel. I think. I think it's important. Oh, well, I completely, I completely yeah. agree. And and look, when I see you know a complete liar and a hoaxer, and somebody who deserves to be called bat squatch on, mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'll definitely call it. Uh, here's the thing, though. And Richard uh, gets, uh, you know, uh, he gets a pass because a lot of the stuff he talks about is stuff that we can't prove yet or disprove yet. Scientifically, we just can't prove a lot of this stuff or disprove it. So you kind of have to have, you know, a balance of 50-50 with him. But there's other stuff that you could completely look at and say, okay, this person's lying. Or if there's videos on the internet that you know for a fact are CGI and people are trying to pass them off as real, you know, that stuff you can call Batsquatch immediately because you 
know what you're looking at. You know what it is. It's something that you can physically attack, you know, and I'll do that to the end of time because I do believe that that will help, you know, clear some of the BS that goes on in ufology and maybe one day we'll actually get some real footage, some real stuff. You know, sadly enough, there is stuff out there that is real, but how do you tell what's real and what's not when any 12-year-old can sit in his basement and create a UFO video? you know, on CG with its computer. So there's a lot of stuff out there that is phony. Unfortunately, we got we kind of have to take the good with the bad when we do these shows, Nancy. And you kind of have to, like, play both sides of the of the fiddle, so to speak, and, and hear everybody's story and let the audience decide for themselves. But there are going to be those times where it's just going to be a little bit too much and, you know, we're going to go over the edge and I'm just going to say, okay, bad squatch. I got mm-hmm. it. I just got to do it. Uh, you know, I know that a lot of people attacked uh, Richard when he was on our show and, I don't know why, personally, because honestly, like I said, yeah, it's stuff that sounds a little bit out there, but we're talking about another planet. It's Pluto, and we're talking about different things that might be going on there, and none of that is provable or unprovable. Mm, But what about the stuff like the torsion fields that have to do with the pyramids, which have to do with something? The collapse of the bee colonies, stuff like that. Yeah, what about that sort of thing? He was on Art Bell arguing that uh, the whole collapse of of, of, uh, of bee colonies... And this was would have been back in what two thousand six, two thousand seven. But wait, you guys are talking. You know, I so much don't want to talk about Richard C. Hoagland. Oh, I don't want to talk about him either. But you brought it up. Positive. You brought him up, Nancy. Yes. Yeah, you brought him up. <laughs> yes. I mean, I I didn't bring him up. You so did. let me unbring him up because uh, it's already. You know, it's I'm losing my ability to. Um, I'm, and I'm, I like Richard. I, I look. I like to hear him speak. He's a he's a very eloquent person. He speaks very well. He's he's good at what he does when it comes to I bringing have, information. I have joined. I have joined the Richard C. Hoagland fan club. I have joined up. <laughs> uh, I have, and I have listened. And I have to tell you, I am going to become a listener. I think it's real, and I want to learn because it is a lot of fun, and I want to have some fun again. And I really plan to. Tonight's going to be a challenge, but beyond that, um, you know, we'll see how it goes. I think every night is a challenge, Nancy. Every, every night, night is a challenge. This is true. <laughs> and uh, if you don't, uh, if you don't listen uh, at three o'clock in the morning East Coast time, you can join uh, and and uh, become a time traveler, and thus you get the deal of a lifetime. Correct. Just yeah. so there you go. Just think. Just think about this. This is what we're asking of the audience, Nancy. We're asking you all out there, everybody's listening, to start listening from 10 p.m. all the way to, what, 5 in the morning? I do. Nonstop. I do. I love it. I love every minute of it. And it's awesome. It is awesome. I'm sorry. I mean, it, it, it does show you have no life, you know, given. Well, I don't know about that. Uh, it does for me. I'm See, here's you. a great thing. For those of us who do have a life, Nancy yeah. Burns, um, there's a thing called the Time Traveler Pass for Art Bell. You can go on ArtBell.com, sign up for it. It's only five bucks if you sign up now. Soon it's going to go up, so please get over there quick and sign up. And if you're a Richard Hoagland fan like I am, you could sign up also and get his uh, podcast for five bucks a month. Both mm-hmm. wor- really worth it. They're great podcasts. Highly recommend them. Even Nancy Burns loves them. You know, mm-hmm. that tells you everything, right? She loves them. Well, I'm trying. I'm learning. I think the music is superb. He does crazy, spacey music. I love that. And, I, and his, his yes, demeanor and yes. his enthusiasm. I understand all that, and I'm, I'm willing to jump in and, and learn to swim. Um, in swim a, with the dolphins, Nancy. Exactly. Exactly. And then tonight, I can tell you that the guest for tonight for uh, uh, Art Bell's show is Dean Radin. If you've never Ooh. heard Dean Radin, it's going to be super great. Dean Radin. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I'll tell you this much. Um, Art Bell is the only radio personality that can make uh, even the worst guest sound epic. 
and sound of good. Course. Of course. And he he's done that oh, with a great now. guest. With a great oh, guest. Oh, with, with a great guest. Oh, my God, it's phenomenal. Yeah. Oh, and if, so you've, good. if you haven't heard Dean Redden before, uh, this is a great introduction. You will, uh, if anybody can ask the right questions, it, it is Art Bell. Um, yep, yep. And you learn something every time. Um, so there. And, and um, meanwhile, I, I did also, while we had a few minutes, let's talk really fast about the four books that uh, uh, John Liebert, and William J. Burns have authored together because those are the points. Those are the reason. Is it four or five now? Wait, let me just check. Go to futuretheater.com. The um, the new one is not done yet. I put it no, up. No, the new one's done. Now it's going to go into editing. It's ah. well, you have the cover for that, right? It's psychiatric no. terminology. No. I think I yeah, you're yeah. right. I'll put it up later. Uh, tell us about all four. Could you, like start with the how has the, how has the subject evolved? Well, it, it started with. And I'm looking at the clock. It started with uh, the murders, the mass murder in at Virginia Tech by this guy uh, Cho Sung Hui, and it started with a um, a deconstruction of his psychiatric profile and tracking this guy's life from the time he was a little kid until that suicide mass murder. And we came up with this theory that the administrators at college and in some of the courts have no concept that there is an entire generation of college students that, and now it looks like it's like one in four, that at some point during their teenage years into their 20s are going to suffer a mental breakdown or at least some form of mental illness. Wait, what, percent, most, what percentage? One in four, one out of every four will experience some bout. A breakdown? Of mental illness, yep. and some of them will result in a in a in a breakdown, and a smaller percentage will result in some kind of catastrophic violence. Mm-hmm. And so, if you look at cases like the Aurora, Colorado shooter, Klebold and Harris at uh, Columbine High School, Cho Sung Hui, Adam Lanza, Elliot Roger, these are people who all started out with um, a mental illness. It might have been minor at first. It might have been a bout of schizophrenia. It might have been something, but it went untreated. And untreated mental illness metastasizes like a cancer, and it involves more and more of the person's um, divorcing himself from reality. But does it and always have to, or can you nip it in the bud? You can nip it in the bud if you know what you're doing, but most doctors don't recognize it and don't recognize the, uh, uh, the warning signs, don't recognize that somebody is starting out by acting strangely and then is completely inappropriate. And people kind of slough that off. Oh, he's just eccentric. He's just an oddball. And that's probably true. But in some of those cases, it is a marker for mental illness. And if it's left untreated and the person suffers those life vicissitudes that people tend to do when they're young, that can result in violence. And so that was the story of Cho Sung Hui, and that was the first book called Suicidal Mass Murderers. Suicidal Mass Murderers was kind of the, the counterpoise to my first true crime book, Serial Murders, with, with Joel Norris. And then, our, and then our next two books, Wounded Minds, which is what we're talking about tonight, is about combat PTSD and PTSD from the military. Then there was Hearts of Darkness, which was an extension of the Cho Sung Hui book on suicidal mass murderers. Then Psychiatric Criminology, which is the book that we just finished, and it's coming out in about five, six months. 
from from Taylor and Francis, that book is all about why the field of criminology, the field of criminal justice, needs to look at the field of psychiatry in order to make more informed decisions about people who are acting strangely. And it starts out with a lot of these, a lot of the confrontations uh, in uh, a Black Lives Matter issues where police simply are blind to who they're dealing to, to the people they're dealing with. These are people who are all acting strangely in one way or another from Michael Brown. And so these things escalate into shootings, into killings of unarmed people that don't have to happen. I mean, there are all these switch-offs where somebody who understands what he's dealing with as a law enforcement person can basically understand this is a person not in control of himself, whether it's because of drugs, because of alcohol, because the person is mentally ill, because the person is angry and mentally ill, because the person is suffering from PTSD. That's why so many veterans who have PTSD wind up on the streets, wind up homeless, and are shot down by police. And right, or, the- or worse, the worst statistic of all is they commit suicide. At right. an alarming rate, it's four called, times called, as much. Yeah. Yes, it's called copicide. You no, 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 just ordinary. Yeah. No, no, no. You use the police as an instrumentality for suicide. Right, and and the statistic I'm talking about is twenty. Uh, you know, once you leave the service and once you're a vet, uh, they are four times as likely to kill themselves right. then. Exactly. As yeah, it's yes. horrible. It's yes, horrible. that's true, and so. Another issue that we deal with in the book is that ever since Ronald Reagan, there has been uh, the states have closed down mental institutions. So they've effectively mainstreamed the mentally ill. So they're in society, on the streets, living under bridges, living in doorways where they really should be institutional. Posting on forums. Well, that uh, and that's the sad part about yes. it. Living in libraries, the Santa Monica Library, for example, was a homeless shelter. Mm-hmm. They would go there in the daytime, spend the entire day there because it was one place where they couldn't be kicked out. It was a public place or Santa Monica Beach or the Venice Pier. And, and it's sad to see. And so these are the kinds of people who wind up getting in trouble. They're homeless. They're hungry. They're angry and they're sad. And they have breakdowns, and that's when the police get involved, well, and somebody is going to die. I hope we can be of some help tonight. I do. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so those are the four books. Okay. And we know how prepared the police is to handle these kind of people. Yeah. Right. I mean, <laughs> the, uh, the police get angry. What a joke they, they are. Don't want, yeah. uh, they don't want to clean this up. They get ang- It's like this case in New Mexico where, um, a, where a bunch of cops found this homeless man. He, he had been a nuisance. He was simply a nuisance. And he was camping in, in some state park. And this one cop who's caught on his own body camera microphone saying, I'm going to shoot this guy's male appendage off. Well, these police were charged with murder. But here was a guy huh. who had put wow. down his knife, whose hands were in the air, and the police opened up a volley and killed this guy. Why? Mm-hmm. Because and, sometimes, well, sometimes the police hires murderers and thieves and killers to be police officers. Yeah, but they're and also that, people with PTSD right there. Right. There are cops who are combat veterans who have PTSD. Right. Exactly. And, of course, the experience of Bill Scott 
who's been on the show a number of mm-hmm. times, who's a friend of mine, whose son Kevin, whose son Eric Scott was um, shot down, murdered by the police in Las Vegas. They said he was holding a gun when he was holding his cell phone. And this was wow. uh, this is the same kind of thing where um, the police didn't wait, didn't didn't listen. His hands were up. He actually told the police, my hands are up. I don't have a weapon. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had a holstered weapon because he had a federal gun permit, but his hands were in the air. And the police saw a cell phone because he was holding a cell phone. And they opened and this one person opened fire and the other police opened fire, too. So nobody could claim one cop did the shooting. And this was a cop who was a troubled cop, just like the cop in Cleveland. This person, Loman, who fired at this 12 year old boy holding a pellet gun. He was a troubled cop. He was fired from another department, wound up on the Cleveland police force. The police car pulls up, sees this little kid with a gun. The cop opens fire and kills him. I mean, it is it is astounding. That is incredible. Mm. Yeah. It, it, it is incredible. I mean, the police that I remember from when I was a kid, and, and, and I remember I was carrying around a starter pistol. My parents had this, where they got the, it was a stage prop. It was a star, my parents were in show business. It was a starter pistol. It was, it, it shot blanks. And I was carrying it around on the boardwalk in Rockaway Beach in New York. And a cop saw it. And he basically said to me, why are you carrying this around in public? I said, well, it's, it's a starter pistol. He said, I know what a starter pistol is. He said, but don't you know how easy it is for someone to think that's a real weapon? He said, put it away. Don't take it out. Leave it at the house. Don't take it outside. Just for your own good. And he, he was just this friendly. I mean, he was stern, but in a very friendly way. And I was a young kid. I must have been about 10 or 11. But you were white. Well, that's true, but the point is he he was exactly. very had your name be Le- had your name been Leroy, and a little shade uh, darker, mm-hmm. things would have been a little bit different. A little bit well, different. Not in the nineteen fifties. Yeah, in the nineteen fifties. I'm. It's not. You, it no, was a, they wouldn't. They in wouldn't the forties, the fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties. Now it will still be different. Well, now it's different, but I mean, then it was. I mean, he was very. So, I mean, I understand that. So I really um, had a lot of empathy when I heard about, when I saw the video of the shooting in Cleveland where the police mm-hmm. car did, they did, they barely stopped the car. They rolled right. up, door opened, cop opens fire. Incredible. Incredible. And we are at the time for our break. So yes, we're we going to be back with James and with uh, Dr. John Liebert a forensic psychiatrist, neuropsychiatrist, back after these messages. So stay tuned for a very um, serious discussion about PTSD and violence. We are your co-hosts, Bill and Nancy Burns, on Future Theater Live on the Dark Matter Digital Network and PSN Radio. Back on the other side with our guests. Stay tuned. host of Capricorn Radio. I'm also an author, engineer, and researcher. 
Capricorn Radio covers alternative history, alternative science, philosophy, and truth orientated discussions. We are proud to be on the Dark Matter Radio Network live at 8 pm Saturdays, Eastern Standard Time. You can catch extra info on darkmatterradio.net, jameswagger.com for yours truly, and capricornmembers.com for the archives. Don't forget, truth is not democratic, truth is truth. phenomenon either we like it or not is already very much part of our reality i've been on panels with uh, military people who you know claim that they've seen the aliens buzzing our missile silos they have very large eyes and you know i found their stare extremely difficult to bear this is martin willis the host of podcast ufo and we are here on the dark matter radio network every wednesday from 8 p.m to 10 p.m eastern standard time it is my commitment to bring you an entertaining weekly show that takes a hard look at the UFO phenomena. Are they extraterrestrial? Well, are they interdimensional? Are they time travelers or something we have not even thought of yet? We explore these questions with interesting guests and witnesses from all around the globe. In addition, we bring you weekly UFO news with Open Minds TV, Alejandro Rojas. Thank you for listening, and remember, keep your eyes to the sky. Hi, this is Solaris Blue Raven with Hyperspace on Dark Matter Radio. Tune in on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for an intriguing show pertaining to covert technology, UFOs, paranormal, mysticism, and spirituality. We are back on Future Theater Live on the Dark Matter Digital Network with our guest, James. James, can I use your last name, yes or no? Uh, not at the moment. Uh, James and my writing partner, Dr. John Liebert from Arizona. Thanks for joining us, guys. We really appreciate it. Serious discussion tonight, obviously. We were going to be joined. Um, I could not raise him. Mark Eisenhower, Josh Eisenhower's father, um, and nor could I raise um, Abby Gehring, who uh, is our editor at Skyhorse. John's and editor Abby, is, editor re- Abby is related Abby to... Abby is Josh's cousin, and it was oh. Abby Gehring who kind of let me know and John know. She emailed us both about this terrible thing that happened. So let me just bring this up first. James, you can comment on this. John, I know you can comment on it. it, it it's this. <clears throat> Josh Eisenhower, this is the story that really prompted this show. Josh Eisenhower, who um, is a sergeant, I guess he's still a staff sergeant, uh, had multiple tours in Afghanistan. And he suffered combat injuries. Um, One was this horrific shoulder separation because uh, his sergeant ordered him to carry 150 pounds of ammunition up a hill single-handedly with his rifle because uh, a number of uh, Afghan national troops were trapped on a hilltop and they were surrounded by the Taliban and they ran out of ammunition. 
So Josh Eisenhower had to carry it up. In the process, he separated his shoulder. And when the army surgeons tried to put it back together, they used metal pins. And the metal pins moved. And his shoulder re-separated, but the um, incisions where the um, pins were put in became uh, infected with pus. And the pins moved and began hitting the bone. And he was in terrible pain. And what they did was, instead of re-operating him, they just gave him painkillers. So here he is. He, he's now at a forward um, a, a fire base in Afghanistan, suffering in enormous pain on heavy-duty painkillers. And I mean heavy-duty painkillers. And yet he's still on duty. And at one point... Um, he had posted sentries around the outpost, and his captain demanded, ordered that he pull the sentries back because basically he said, this place is a mess. It's filthy. I want these guys to police up the area. So he ordered Eisenhower to pull the sentries off the perimeter, which he did. Uh, a Taliban truck driver in an Afghan army Afghan National Army uniform, driving an army truck, pulls up. He's a suicide bomber. He blows the whole front of this perimeter off, including the men who were pulled off uh, perimeter duty. And it was Josh's job to form a detail to piece the pieces of the men who were killed back together so they could wind up in the same body bags and be shipped back and be identified. Well, Eisenhower basically suffered tremendous PTSD, and he's still in Afghanistan. He's suffering PTSD. He's suffering pain. Finally, he is uh, put back into a warrior transition unit at Fort Bragg in North Carolina. And there, he's suffering all kinds of problems. He is mentally decomposing. He's living alone. He has no treatment from any Army psychiatrist. Um, his painkillers are dominating his, his life. His fiance can't put up with him anymore. She moves out of the apartment. So he's in this apartment alone one night and he's hallucinating at this point. He's still, his brain is still in Afghanistan. He's sleeping with a loaded, with a loaded handgun under his pillow because he thinks any minute the Taliban are going to attack. He's still reliving that bombing. One night he leaves his cigarette burning on the balcony. Uh, the paper begins to smolder. There's something in the ashtray that catches fire. Neighbors call up and say, we're seeing smoke. We're see uh, smelling smoke. They call the fire department. The fire department comes. They're banging on his door. Now, he is in a, a painkiller-induced sleep. He's aroused out of the sleep. He has no idea where he is. He hears banging and smashing. He screams out, is anybody getting the roof? Because he thinks he's at a forward operating base in Afghanistan and they're under attack by the Taliban. He takes his weapon out and he fires his weapon at the roof. Well, then the police open a volley of shots and hit him and they charge him with firing at um, public safety officers and he's thrown in jail. And that's what happens to him. The right. army doesn't intervene. The army could have taken. He's a soldier. He's still a sergeant. The army could have taken custody of him and handled him as a court-martial. Instead, they let the civilian justice system handle him. Finally, he's in jail. He gets a plea bargain. The prosecutor says, look, let's end this thing. I mean, you're going to get jail time. 
So if you just plead guilty to firing a weapon illegally, um, you'll get what? You'll be sentenced to 73 months in jail. That's our plea agreement. And you'll probably get out in, in a year because uh, of a good behavior. So just take this plea deal. It's easy. So the lawyers say, yeah, you better take the plea deal. It's the best you can do. The judge sees this case and says, oh, no, I'm not accepting. He's already pled guilty. He's accepted the deal. Uh, this county judge says, no, he sentences him to from 10 to 18 years in prison. He will get no psychiatric treatment. He will decompose. His life is essentially over. And that's how we treated this one veteran with PTSD. Now, Bill, this is James. Um, I, now, I was a military policeman in both the Army and the Marine Corps. Mm -hmm. I just kind of know how military law enforcement and our court-martial system works. Um, also, I know how the civilian court system works because I was a federal uh, law enforcement officer. Um, what I would say about that is the military, it's very common. If you commit a crime out in town, they will let the civilian authorities handle it, and that's a fact. 99% of the time, and it's only the 1%, and it's not because of uh, they're on PT they have PTSD or anything like that. That's not a mitigating circumstance. It would be if you actually have some national security interest, and they know you have it, that they'll intervene and put you in Leavenworth, okay? If, right. if, if But if you go to a civilian court, and I feel bad that this guy didn't have good enough representation, if you're looking at something like that, a prosecutor and a cop – legally can lie to you all day long okay what and do you a, mean what do you mean legally you can't lie to a police officer or a uh any member of the court okay because that's perjury right but they can lie to you to get you to confess whatever okay this is or to say hey take this deal because every prosecutor even federal they can say i can recommend to the judge 72 months and a year off after good behavior. Uh, but the judge has that authority, and I'm not saying it was a good call on the judge's part. And his lawyer really should have represented him a little differently as a, as a veteran, it sounds like, and explained. And see, you can't do that when you take a deal. If you got 12 jurors, you know, those well, would, jurors... Would it, would it have been the same in a military court? No, what that would have been if it would have, if he would have done that in a military court, it would have been a courts martial guaranteed on that for discharging a firearm on base or whatever. Uh, once that would happen, he'd go in front of three officers, and I do believe the military court martial system is probably the most superior legal system out there, and the UCMJ is more than fair. Mm -hmm. And and so you know what you're looking at, no matter what the crime, it's listed. Mm -hmm. Under the uniform. So he was he was he was brought up to think you could trust what someone tells you in a quasi legal situation in which, you know, before you sign away and make a plea deal, you you have to hope that they're telling you the truth. Right. You no. have well, to his have a lawyer. His lawyer was blindsided is what happened. Yeah. His lawyer recommended a deal that the prosecutor offered him. And of course, James is right. A judge is not bound by a prosecutor's promise right. to somebody in a plea deal. Um, right. I, I guess my argument is that no one was hurt except for Eisenhower. 
Right. He was uh, there was a severe mental condition affecting him. And I I'm telling you, if he would have went in front of the box, which is going in front of a jury of twelve, uh, he could have played on the heartstrings. But he, oh, yeah. he took he took the deal. And right. once he took the deal, it's the deal with the devil, Bill. And you know, it breaks my heart as a veteran. I've seen it <clears throat> besides uh you know, PTSD and how it affects people, uh, that breaks my heart too. But uh seeing them act out in certain ways, I've heard some of the descriptions uh that you guys were saying earlier. I was listening to the show and so I'm sort of spun up on what you're talking about. In all honesty, um, it's just, you know, Americans no longer have real civics taught to them. And, uh, I mean, how many people could you ask, what's the constitutional amendments? You know, the Bill of Rights. They don't know. No, they don't know. And that is the handcuff to law enforcement. You have that Fifth Amendment right to keep your mouth shut. Don't talk to the police. Um Ask for a jury of your peers. You're entitled yeah, to Yeah, but don't they, don't they become progressively more... You saw the man uh, beating up the woman. I, she was definitely a woman of color, but she was nonetheless getting beaten up for it was, being it was smart, Marlene, Sandra Bland. Yes, yeah, Sandra yeah. Bland, right. But, but if she had known her rights, there is 1984 color of law. And that means that if she gets her civil rights, i.e. Bill of Rights, violated... She now has legal standing to take that cop to court and try him under 1984 color of law. He's acting under color of law and misusing his authority. I mean, this is what I'm talking about. But I'm sorry, I'm going on a diatribe about that. But it really upsets me that, you know, it's just Americans. We've become too complacent. Right, right. And, and I was upset that when James Sanders was on uh, last week, people did not understand what a <clears throat> what a service he has provided. And I wanted you, James, to know about this this uh, particular guest because he's the one who has said that we were holding back prisoners of war. And it seems as though people can't tell the difference between James Sanders and everybody else selling their current thing. Um, they can't check credentials properly anymore. And I just thought the way people treated him with not a shred of respect, was weird. Um, I, and, and he was a former police officer in Seal Beach. He was their crime scene investigator for the Seal Beach Police Department. And when he was medically retired, he wrote these two books. And John, you referred to them when we were writing Wounded Minds. You are the men we left behind in Soldiers of Misfortune mm-hmm. oh, yeah. about, about what we did from World War II through Korea yeah, um, World War One, and World War One. Wow. Yeah, we allowed wow. we allowed the enemy to hold to not return uh, our prisoners of war, and it, this was especially horrendous in World War Two. Remember the scene in the movie Patton, uh, James, where um, George C. Scott says to Edward Binns, who's playing Beatles Smith, that he wanted to start a war with the Russians and just mm-hmm. push right through the Russian sector. Yeah, And then I, everybody was kind of laughing at that, like, whoa, what a crazy guy Patton was. The reason for that, which was not in the movie, but which is true, and Sanders wrote about this in The Men We Left Behind, is that the Soviet army 
uh, took control of elements of Patton's third army that were in the Russian sector. They wouldn't let him repatriate. Well, that's not uncommon. I mean, even when I was over in Iraq on my, uh, well, first time was during the Gulf War, but barring that, um, first time as a contractor in Iraq, um, I was in the Russian sector, and that's in Wasit province. And uh, it's all about dealing with people. And that's the problem also in America is that lack of civility. Just like, Nancy, you brought up. People on Belgab, they got this anonymity, and they'll slay people for absolutely no reason. And that's fine. They get their jollies that way. But yeah, it's, but, it's, it's, but, but it's slaying, people, slaying people is one thing. I can understand that. And, you know, I've irritated people. I interrupt and so forth. But James Sanders comes in with an absolutely stellar record. You know, I years like of service. Yeah. Years of I, service. I, I, you know, not a single solitary, you know, I mean, in other words, you can check him on, he's done all his stuff, even in internet time. You know, you can right. check pretty much all of it. But but uh, people don't, they don't know how to give respect to people who are actually putting their lives on the line so that we have some freedoms. Um, not just, not just um, you know, journalists actually put their lives on the line sometimes. Yes, you know, there are still there are still good journalists. I mean, we've been kept out of the wars now. You know, it's not like Vietnam where, you know, you can kind of go over there and see stuff and well, broadcast it. Well, you you could. I mean, you you got to remember uh and I've gone over over under both uh Bush and Obama. Mm -hmm. And under Bush, you saw the daily death counts. Mm -hmm. Since Obama's been president, you haven't seen that. Mhm. Mm and there, that's when you guys were talking about media earlier. Mm -hmm. That's the fact. And you do have good media persons, people that go out there to cover it. Uh, I can give you one name because I know the guy and I trust him completely. Robert Young Pelton. Mm -hmm. And a uh, phenomenal author. But he's, you know, anyways... It, I'm well, let's 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 veer. Since I'm going to always interrupt, let's veer to PTSD because you, James, yeah. have done some work, and you, John, and you, Bill, have certainly done some work. And I would like to know, as a civilian, uh, what can we? You know, how are things going? And are we solving this problem? These people are in the lap of luxury. They've come home. Why are they killing themselves? Well, do you want me to? No, so, I think yeah, maybe. Ahead. Yeah, go ahead and start, and then John certainly who treats awesome. PTSD um, sufferers um, can, can, can weigh in. Yeah, awesome. I found the, the most successful thing. I, first, I don't take drugs for anything. Um, the mo most success I've found <clears throat> is keeping in touch with your brothers, okay, and, and your sisters, because we do have females. Lioness program, that's a for real program. And what, and, does, that, what does that mean, lioness? Well, they they took females from different units mm -hmm. and they would attach them to field units or to people going out in public. Okay. And so if you had to deal with a female, so we wouldn't offend the Muslim persuasion. Oh. If we had to search a female, we use these females. And so they saw everything and did everything we had to do. Wow. And, uh, so that's what I well, mean. Were they trained? Oh, yeah, see of what, course. That's why it's called the Lioness Program. Yeah. Uh, I mean, were they trained, however, to see that level of heavy level of combat, let's just say, because you, I guess, would never know what to expect. In other words, were they trained for trauma and mental distress? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, everybody's trained as much as they can be. With PTSD, so you understand as a civilian, and I think civilians can get it too, it's a matter of, it's cumulative. It's not just one thing, or it can be maybe. I don't know. But I know with me, it's cumulative. And even the Special Forces bad dudes that I know. Uh, well, what do you they, mean by cum- cumulative? How do you describe it? Well, let's let John way? answer that question because yeah. John has treated PTSD um, people yeah. who have it. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, uh, probably over a thousand. Uh, where do I start? Um, uh, well, it was the repeated trauma that you talked about in Wounded Minds. Yeah, well, in, you know, we have all different kinds of wars here, and I've I've inserted in all of them um, in one way or the other, so that I've seen uh, the uh, <clears throat> the combat veterans from all of them, including the World War One, although small numbers there, but I've certainly seen all the rest of them, including POWs from World War Two. I myself am Vietnam era um uh so yes i think that uh there there's 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 a whole you know range of issues here but i think right now it would if we get involved in the vietnam situation i mean that that's a kind of a different 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 situation um this war on terror is a, is a is an, a new um enigma uh, so to speak, we have three million veterans um, of the war on terror, many of whom, most of whom, I should say, are combat veterans. Um, uh, women, we were talking about, uh, James was mentioning women. Um, <clears throat> in Vietnam, there was a, <clears throat> a book called uh, Home Before Morning. It was about uh, women in Vietnam uh, who were very traumatized. They were all nurses. Um, mm-hmm. right. That this is not the case anymore. Um, uh, in my experience, the women, you know, were truck drivers, but mm-hmm. and truck drivers, uh, you know, they they took a, a tremendous um, uh, heat in 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 Iraq because of of IEDs, the convoys. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was nothing safe about being in a convoy uh, in Iraq. Uh, <clears throat> so I, I think we, we, we should concentrate or like, I'd like to concentrate on, on, um, the war on terror because I think it's, it's different. Um, these are volunteers, so to speak. Um, and, uh, they, you know, they were, uh, brought into, you know, to to do you know kind of asymmetrical warfare, um, something that that would be over in a hurry, um, and Iraq seemed to be um, a pretty quick win, and then I think we uh, kind of walked into I would say an ambush, um, and it went on and on and on. Until well, what does we, well, asymmetric? What does asymmetrical mean before you? Well, asymmetrical just means that there are no lines. Uh, you know, I mean, our counterpart can answer this better than I can, but it, it's sort of a, a euphemism uh, that uh, it's not as dangerous as, as uh, 
you know, like um, World War One, where there were trenches and, uh, uh, you know, they could talk to each other and, and uh, uh, throw grenades at each other and gas each other, you know. And, and well, does uh, it does it also mean that in that you're going to be among civilians? Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, but oh, that's that's tremendously important. You you can't. I mean, in Vietnam, in Vietnam, you you know, it it was hard to know the enemy. But you could always get back, I think, you could always get back to security. If you made it through a patrol, you could always get back to your fire base and, you know, <clears throat> put the mines out, you know, and right. get drunk. Right. Have a level With of some security. sense of security. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you could do that in 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 the war on terror, particularly you in can't. Afghanistan. And you, you know with Josh Eisenhower, and, and why, the topic of this, you know, the reason that that he fired his weapon and he hit, I remember this from the first interview. He hit the door right at the very top outside corner, which is exactly what he was supposed to do if he had a green blue conflict when he was asleep. I right. mean, he automatically and fired green, his weapon right at the right place. And a green, and green blue is uh, if I'm training Iraqi police or Josh was training uh, Afghani, whatever, and I've worked in both theaters, uh, that's when they actually try to snuff you while you're sleeping oh. or in a class or something. Yeah, it happens. And but that, yeah, I understand that's that. What, that's what caused this. Right. And, and honestly, I understand what you're saying, Doctor. Um I, I agree with you. There is no front line of battle anymore. And there is no, rel you have relative safety, okay? And they have rules of engagement that absolutely make no sense. And it's gotten worse. Right. But now when they kill people, back when I first started doing this game, um, it was surgical. You, you had to kill somebody who was a bad actor. He was either a low-level bad actor or a big mm -hmm. level, okay? A high-value target. Now, they don't care. They'll bring a building down. And this has happened under this administration. It changed. And you don't see this on the news. And why did it change, do you think? Because you've heard him say, I'm pretty good at killing people. He's never killed anybody. So... You know, that's just my opinion on that, and I'm sorry, I just went on. I mean, but why would you? I just want to clarify this. Are, are you saying that we've moved towards um, more tolerance of collateral damage? Oh yeah. Oh okay. yeah. Okay, I did not know that. Oh yeah, it's insane. Yeah, and they'd rather use drones or some other standoff equipment to do it because the rules of engagement. They've actually done this with the MRAPs now. Not just is there a dash cam, but there's a cam on every gun. So if you have to use that to defend yourself, that disc will be uploaded and sent directly back to Ford Command. And you, if they decide somewhere else and they judge you second-handed, you're going to prison. I'm fortunate as a contractor, and what I do, I don't have ROEs. I don't have to worry about cams. But wait, but, but let's go back to what MRAPs are. Uh, it's a mine-resistant armored protective vehicle. Okay, and so what you're saying is that, say, you know, you're saying that the decision to uh, the what decision has, to fire 
mm-hmm. is 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 always second guessed by a video that's taken from yes. the vehicle. Yes. Oh. And so our troops. This is another part of the PTSD because I've seen you know they they loved me because they just say go handle that um, where I was at the last time and I left in 2013. It was December, I believe. Um, but yeah, that was uh, yeah, it was over Christmas. Um, that was when I left right after that. So, anyways, uh, I didn't have ROEs. I was running the Afghan security on a combat outpost in Talakan, Afghanistan, in Kandahar Province. And, and ROEs uh, are rules of engagement. Rules of engagement. Okay, who makes these ROEs? Uh, somebody who sits behind a desk and doesn't know exactly how and what things have to be done. I mean, are they for the Americans only? Or are they for yeah. my Afghans didn't have ROEs? I didn't because if I violated the law, I'm going to be prosecuted under Afghan law, and so will my Afghans. But the problem is, you're working in unhealthy states. They really don't have functional law. So, and so we're held to a different standard, is what I'm saying, Bill. I no, I can understand that, and so. Um, con- and so that's why so many of the jobs um, are let out to contractors because they don't work under the same rules of engagement as the military. It's as if the military has a hands-off policy for um, the contractors. Well, it depends on who you're contracting with, in all honesty. If you're with State Department, State has some control over it, okay? Because you have a DSS agent with every convoy, okay? Mm-hmm. If you're working for the Army and you're working directly to them, then you have uh, rules of engagement and you have to follow them. And, and you also have to follow all their little silly uh, SOPs like no drinking and all that silliness. Right. Uh, if you're working for like Department of Justice or State, you can drink. And I've worked Department of Justice trained Iraqi police from 05 to 06. And uh, – both uh, Wasit Province and Mosul when it was live and on fire and in Baghdad. And ISATAP is International Criminal Investigations Training Assistance Program. And um, so what I'm saying is, but we didn't, we were allowed to drink. We didn't have to follow, you know, their general order, mm-hmm. number one. And, you know, it just was what it was. But well, doesn't this sound pretty confusing, even to an, a guy who's been doing it for a while? Doesn't it sound like the rules change in a whimsical way? It does. And, and that it, it's exactly that. And, but see, the good thing about being a contractor is if it gets too stupid, window or aisle, I, I'll ask. I want an aisle seat. Right, right. Send me home. But, a soldier but can't if you, do that. But, right. Okay. You know, and I keep thinking about what... Um, a, a good friend of mine uh, was a, the CIA station chief in an African country. I think it was Angola, Chip Beck. And after he retired, he was a naval commander. Uh, he was actually a frogman at the time that he was um, in in uh, Laos fighting the undeclared war in Laos. Right. And he, um, after he left the service, after he left the Navy and then left the CIA, he was, uh, he's, he's, Uh, He's now a psychologist. He has a Ph.D., but he was contracted with the State Department Mm -hmm. to do training for Iraqi youth. And so he goes over to Iraq. This was in the initial stages. And he sees that there are very young officers. And he almost got 
he did get thrown out. He sees that all the trenches that they were digging were straight lines. And so he says to this one lieutenant, don't, didn't you ever hear the story of Sergeant York that you don't do that? Right. And the soldier was so furious that he got fired from the State Department and was sent back home. And, and he was telling me the story about that. He said it was insane. These people were sitting ducks. Yeah, well, that's, you know, we were teaching, this is going to make you laugh, and really we got to get back on PTSD. I'm sorry I derailed that, doctor. But uh, it, it really boils down to, we were teaching Kosovo. We actually had a eight-hour class on gay, lesbian, transgendered education <laughs> for Iraqis, okay? <laughs> so in that eight hours... Oh, they I have transgender class. Iraqis, really? Yeah, yeah, there's there's no such thing, and and right, I, I mean there so. there is. They do their little weirdness, but they don't admit well. to it. Okay, but what I'm saying is, and that's just their culture. It's what they do. But I I'd that was give only like, an American thing. No, I, I'd give them their five second class on it. Just explain <laughs> what it is. Their eyes would roll back in their head. Men want to be women, and women want to be men. They didn't quite grasp that comp you know they didn't comprehend that but wow. after that i used the rest of that class time to actually teach them stuff that would keep them alive Ooh. and wow. that but see you have to be creative you you get a lesson plan that's awesome but once you're in a classroom or you're out in the field and you're dealing with stuff you know you handle it the way you want to do it, and the ramifications are real. Just like Bill said, they can throw you off a contract. I've never been thrown off a contract. I've left a few. But anyways, that's – I'm sorry. So, doctor no, – That's okay. Well, let's go back to uh, to John yeah. and kind of ask – okay, so so where we were was what, it, what causes PTSD? What is the nature of the repeated trauma? I know there's a biological um, component to it. Well, everybody well, doesn't get it. Yeah. Uh, well, I think I think everybody gets it, but yep. uh, some people are able to, you know, fly under the radar screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the the best data we have is the triangle study that was done long after Vietnam and was able to get some Vietnam veterans down to uh, the, the Triangle in North Carolina and do research on them. Uh, it was a very flawed study, but it's probably the best we have um, of, uh, you know, the effects of Vietnam on combat veterans. Right. Uh, for those who were able to pick up the letter um, you know, from the Department of Defense and the Veterans Administration and actually make their airlines reservations and actually get to Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, And for the study, uh, even there they found that um, nearly nearly half had full or partial post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm -hmm. And, And I say this was a very flawed study because... Uh, in, ni- in the 1980s, um, you already had a lot of the most severe cases incarcerated. 200,000 of them were already in prison. Um, 100,000 were already on the streets homeless. Well, how, how, uh, how did probably they get never, pr- never got the letter. 
Um, and um, I saw a guy. I saw a guy who was going the next day, and he was so uptight he shot his landlord the night before and ended up in prison. And he was a no-show. Mm-hmm. So you know, unless you actually take a look at the no-shows and say, you know, how come they didn't show? Well, these guys were in prison. These guys were tripwired living out in the Olympic Peninsula, and they never got any information about this. Uh, this guy uh, um, is homeless. Um, he doesn't have any You know, I mean, we, they, didn't, they didn't keep track of what, who were the no-shows. Right. Uh, so, but still, we, we got a very, very high percentage, far more than 20%. And this 20% number seems to just, you know, be like a, you know, like a religious number, uh, one in five, which is very high. Well, I don't think one in high, one in five is very high um, for for combat. From my my, you know, minimal experience, um, one in five is very very low. Um, so I think we're closer to, you know, you know, 50, 60%. Sure. You know, if you do, if you do the statistical research, 50% of Americans, as was mentioned before, 50% of Americans, including military have been traumatized at a, a level adequate to meet the criteria for post-traumatic stress disorder on the Dis- diagnostic statistical manual. That's, Doctor, a, that's an incredible of, statistic. That's an incredible statistic, John. Yeah, but but only twenty percent of them will develop post-traumatic stress disorder in their lifetime. So we're talking about a very small percentage of Americans, a, a large percentage of Americans who are traumatized, but a small percentage that actually are diagnosed with the full criteria for post-traumatic stress disorder. So I think all these. All these studies have to be, you know, seen, you know, um, <laughs> you know, with 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 great skepticism because, you know, they're 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 done in they're done in ways that that tend to screen people out who you know who probably are some of the worst cases. Yeah, but still, that's, that's that's true, and that's true in psychiatric research in general. Hardly any of my patients, you know, would would be accepted into research programs for any any treatments because they have too many other things and they would be screened out of research. So what we're dealing with is is not really the the reality. Okay, well, Dr. Uh, James, to, what was your question? I, I have to agree with you, Doctor, and I, I got to tell you something. It's anecdotal, I'm sure, but we all did it. Uh, if you were working for state or some other American agency, right? First thing you did when you got to Kuwait or you got to Dubai, you went and saw the shrink at the Kuwaiti Hilton or wherever we were at. Um, anyways, um, we all just told them, nope, didn't see no combat, didn't see no death, you know, all good, have a good day, went to our aisle, see ya. And, and that happens, and so, doctor, I got to agree with you, I think the numbers are skewed. Because, oh, yeah, absolutely, they're skewed. Yeah. Yeah, so I think but you're... The, but the triangle study got close. And, Did it? you know, because it got close because they found this high percentage of partial, partial okay. syndromes. What the hell's a partial syndrome? I mean, if you see post-traumatic stress disorder cases like I have over a period of years, 
you know, right. you see them one day and they'll they'll be fine. You'll see them, you know, three weeks later and their wife will come in and tell them, you know, that the guy was wandering around the woods, you know, shooting at, you know, you know, at the pigs and something like that, you know, and he was totally dissociated. You know, so, I mean, at what point are you seeing these people, you know, and right. so the, these these research studies are so skewed and, of course, they're all funded by you know, the agencies, there are no objective studies of post-traumatic stress disorder. That's what I'm saying. There they're are all no being objective studies. They're all being done by grants then. They're all being Government. done by grants and, and, uh, and the grants um, are startled by the high numbers, one in five. One in five for four tours of duty in, in Rock, uh, 15 months, uh, you know, of, uh, right. you know, back to back tours, one right. in five, I, that's high. I mean, who's ever, who's ever running these things. And I think that's, that's when you mention all these agencies involved, I'm thinking who in the hell's in charge of all this, right. you know, yeah, well, I mean, who's running this thing, right. you know, well, there's a, you know, it, this is crazy. It is crazy. And it's just like, I worked for democracy international and USAID. <laughs> The the most interesting thing is the people with Democracy International, my two clients, this is in Afghanistan, this is in Tangier, uh, I'm not going to mention their names because you'd know who they are, but anyways, uh, my two clients were taking it very seriously, and we knew from the get jump, they're going to fill out their paperwork while they observe the elections, and we're going to take them out in boxes and put it in the dumpster. Wow. Wow. And they, really? they were like, I'm like, you don't have to take it that seriously. And they're like, yeah, we must, we must. Okay, cool, do your job. And then they were like, grab the bags, grab the boxes, throw them in the trash. Wow. Wow. So, yeah. And yeah. he's, the doctor, the good doctor's right. I think you're an awesome dude. I, I appreciate all the hard work. It sounds like you've really helped some people. And and Doc. how do you how do you help people? Do you, is it, um, is it a talking cure or is it a stay only? With yeah. You stay with them, and uh, there's no silver bullet. There's no medication. Um, everybody is has a different situation. One of the things I learned the very hard way, um, I thought I had seen or heard everything that ever happened in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Then the next guy came in, and I just was, oh, I never heard this. Wow. There were a million wars in Vietnam. Oh, yes, there were. Probably. A million different wars. It went on for so long. So many soldiers in so many battles, so many incidents. There were a million different wars. Well, I think um, the, go ahead, James. I think the war on terror has now surpassed Vietnam in yep. length, hasn't it, Doctor? I, yep. Yeah, I, think and, we, I think we're in the same situation we were in then. Yep, and and that's the old thing, Doc. Uh, you know, just and I'm no doctor, but I do know I've had friends that they drop off, and as soon as they do, we would panic, and all of us because we know, you know, you talk to your brothers. I, your brothers and sisters are the ones who got you through it there. They'll get you through it here. Vietnam veterans and, don't talk to each other. And that's a daggone except, shame. Except the SEALs. Hmm. Yep. Oh, yes. SEAL teams are tight. 
Dev grew They're all the those only boys. Ones. But why don't well, the I others? Think why don't the others talk to each other? Because they were drafted and they hated each other. Oh, that's they exactly everything. right. That's the difference between the wars right there. It was only when Nixon went to an all-volunteer army that that things began to change. But the problem with an all-volunteer army is what you saw in Afghanistan and what you saw in Iraq, that, that there just weren't enough human beings to fill those slots. So there were multiple right. deployments. And you get yeah. somebody like this army sergeant, Robert Bales, uh, to this day. <laughs> And we wrote about bales and wounded mines. And so there's a 600-page report that the Army wrote um, a subsequent to Bales' sentencing for the mass murders he perpetrated in, Iraq, in Afghanistan. And to this day, I think the one thing missing in that report was that it was actually an attempted suicide. Bales mm-hmm. uh, was drunk. He, he'd had a lot of alcohol. He went out. Twice. Steroids. He had a lot of other stuff too. Exactly. And my thought is he was going out to commit suicide. This guy was in his fourth deployment. He'd suffered a traumatic brain injury. He'd lost part of his foot. He had qualified for um, to be an army recruiter. His wife was losing their home. He, he was totally unfit for duty. Totally absolutely. unfit for duty. He and should he never have been deployed. deployed. They didn't relieve him? No, they didn't relieve him. Here's a guy, here's a guy, James, who basically his life had fallen apart around him. Um, he, was losing, he, he was losing his home. He'd qualified um, back in, um, I guess, Tacoma. He was at Madigan. He'd qualified for, uh, to be an Army recruiter. And instead, they shipped him back out, fourth deployment to Afghanistan, and I think he just snapped. He, he, he must have felt on that night that he was better off dead than alive, at least if he was killed in combat. His wife would get some form of insurance, that, and, mm-hmm. and the family would be able to survive. He was mm-hmm. better off dead. He would have served his family better being dead, and that's why he went out to do that. They took he some pretty heavy wow. casualties right before he did that. Oh, oh, yeah, boy. he did. Well, that, that makes only, sense. And the only way they knew this guy was missing was that, well, James, as you know, they had these balloons with cameras on them monitoring yeah, the area yeah. exactly around the base. And so they saw him. He was lying face down asleep in a ditch. Yeah, he was Peaches in a drunken is, stupor. Peaches is outside the wire. Ground. Okay, outside, outside the wire. Pegasus pervasive ground surveillance system. Uh, so yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about, and that's another thing. Every kill you get, it's on a Pegasus somewhere. So right, you know. Right, and so here's this guy lying face down in a ditch, yep. and um, he'd gone out on two occasions. He didn't get killed the first time, so he's going to go out again and try and get killed the second time. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's, well, that's, can I can I can I ask James about what you just said when you said every sure. kill every kill you get, are you there to get kills? No, 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 no. I'm saying if that happens, mm-hmm. everybody you kill is going to be under observation somehow. There is. I, I tell this to everybody all the time. There's no such thing as as a crime not seen, even in the U.S. Somebody witnessed it. Just because you heard something fall into a creek. Doesn't mean it, when that body's found, 
you heard or seen it. Right, so but even no in such these thing ends, as a God forsaken. So in these places where you have served, there's enough surveillance that all crimes can be watched, basically? Well, at Talacan, we were on a combat outpost. And it was right coming out of the Red Desert. We had more kills from our balloon than any other balloon in country at the time. Um, when you wait, when you say that, you mean more visuals of people who were killed? Oh yeah, because you'll call in. The balloon's interesting. It actually will, if it's a drone, it'll give the grid coordinates and everything right to the drone, and it'll come in and attack. And so that's, and that's the problem. Well, anyways, I don't want to get into that, but anyways, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's all every, it's got a spinning camera. Okay. Until it sees something of interest and the operator will make it do an eagle eye. The camera is still spinning. So you can still see everything, but the eagle eye locks on mm -hmm. and it gives grid coordinates, whatever for the people on the ground using blue force tracker or what they've been doing is the, you know, drones or a passing aircraft whatever and uh you know so that's how it's done hmm. you know you have and to so you have to remember i i i've i've seen individuals um not that long ago who were you know in solace payment teams for the military um on the 38th parallel in in vietnam in uh, right. north in korea you have mm -hmm. to remember that, you know, there are, are, there's collateral damage done by the United States Army on the 38th parallel all the time uh, because, right. because there's, 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 hot, there's hot fire constantly over there. I mean, the, the North Vietnamese are tunneling under. I mean, it's not well publicized, but... The North Koreans, mm. yeah. Yeah, the North Koreans. right. There's combat going on all the time over there. Oh, yeah. And then, and then we have these solace teams that would go around and, and go to the, you know, to the families on the, you know, in, in Osan or wherever they were on the border and, right. and pay them um, yeah. for, for, the, for the family members who we killed. You Sorry, know, money. Collateral damage. Yeah. I mean, this wow. was like in the Korean wow. War not that long ago and still going on. You know, mm -hmm. and and the this happens all the time. I'm sure that you know James knows knows this. You know, but <laughs> what happened with Sergeant Bales is that there were there were too many to just handle with solace payments. Right, right, right. And although they well, were, they, although they did receive solace payments, it was right. just too big to handle with. Well, no, if, solace payments is the same as hush money. Right, it is. It's sorry money. But but the thing is, if you go out and blatantly murder somebody for no good reason, um, even if you're trying to get killed or whatever, I was a military policeman, uh, you're going to have military police grab you, CID is going to take over from there, and you're going to be court-martialed. Yeah, it, It's going to happen, and you're going to get life or death. And in the military, they still have hanging. So, uh -huh. you know, it's just, uh, I feel bad for the guy. Because it does sound like he got hemmed up and jimmed up, but he kind of brought it on himself. Even he should though, never have been. Well, he should he never have, have been sent, sent there. I agree. I agree. He shouldn't have been sent. But you know, the military sounds like you served too, and I'm pretty sure Bill did, if I remember right. And no, Bill didn't. No. Bill <laughs> oh, okay. Did not. Bill didn't. Neither did Angel. No. Okay. Well, if if. Uh, 
if you make a bad decision in the military, it, it there's real ramifications. And in the military, if they make a bad decision, they have no ramifications. And that's my issue, and and that's just my issue. But well, I think anyway. there's I think there's some ramification for Sergeant Bales because I think there's a case for clemency for him. I'm, I'll pray for. I'm a hundred percent behind it because I think there there's a whole chain of people above him that should have gone with him into the brig. Oh, I'm I guarantee you on that. I if it was up to me and I was working that case. I'd have been going after everybody right, because but why didn't you? Yeah. Well, has he the military? Announced, he announced to the sentry he was leaving the base. He didn't just sneak off into the night. Sentry saw him with a weapon leaving the base, and then they wow. saw him coming back. Then they saw him leaving again. Then, then when he didn't come back, that's when they used this balloon surveillance to find this guy in a ditch. And so finally, somebody bothers to ask a sentry, did you see this guy leave? Oh, yeah, I saw him leave. He was carrying a weapon. Yeah. He should have been I mean, stopped at the perimeter. Well, honestly, everybody carries a weapon. It's, it's not like that, uh, Bill. It's... <laughs> We used to call it getting jocked up. Everybody's got their stuff they put on, get their gun, go out there and do their do, okay? And sometimes you don't know what somebody's up to because you don't need to know. So, I mean, Probably I can't really fault the that. sentry, but I can fault his direct officers and NCOs because I know with my officers and NCOs when I was in the Army and in the Marine yeah. Corps, they noticed something going on with me. They were on it. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. When you say go out there and do their dues, uh, are you saying that they're being independent soldiers at this point? They're they're being rogues and they're going out doing no, no, weird no, no, stuff? No, 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 no. What I'm saying is, let's say you have a special forces guy or a few guys going out to do something. Right. They're fully allowed to do what they have to do because they're probably going after a high-value target. Usually they'll work in a team, but sometimes you'll see them go out there. And they and don't necessarily announce what they're going to do. They don't have to. They don't they, have they've to, right. Got, they've got a mission, and they have to handle that mission. And that's fine. That's their mission. You know, you don't impede somebody on their mission. You don't say, let me see your papers on what you're going to do. A special Forces soldier would be like, are you joking? I'm yeah. not read into what he's supposed to do. And so it's none of my business. And I'm not saying they're independent. Not even contractors. We've, we've run into, I've run into contractors that were so loopy that we bounced them out of country second day. So, you know, it's, I don't know, it's hard to explain. But Well, I just wonder, is the military better off now for being not a draft military anymore? Would the military itself think, I mean, what do, what do people on the inside say? I think, our, well, I, I think that, that the conclusion of our book is absolutely not. Right. I think the volunteer army um, was uh, is is a not the soldiers, not the army itself, but the whole concept is a failure, um, and that's the purpose. I think that's the conclusion of our book. Well, um, I, I think a volunteer army is fine to have a professional military, at least a cadre, but I all 
always have believed in the draft. I joined when I was 17, and I was the most offended when I was in the Army, and my captain said I had to sign my selective service thing. And I was like, I've already joined. What do you mean I have to sign for selective mm-hmm. service? I turned 18, and he gave me an order to sign it. I mean, I actually argued with him. It's a crazy, funny story. But anyways, no, I. but the draft, it does two things. It allows a young man to see a bit of the world, and if war does come, with op tempo increasing, operation tempo, speed of the operations, it's increasing because you're at war. You're not recycling the same guy back exactly. to back. Exactly. exactly. And that was and that the story, was the story of Robert Bale. Well, that's the story of so many soldiers, soldiers who, who don't see any, any hope at the end of this thing. President... Uh, something happened there? Yeah, I wasn't sure. Yeah. Uh, okay. uh, Bill's, you know, Bill's uh, microphone the, is the, uh, reconnecting. Yeah, to, we the to conclusion of our book, breaking. just you know, just so we get this up front here, and then we can discuss it if necessary. But the conclusion of our book is that the Vietnam draft was a disaster, okay? Eisenhower right. confronted that in 1966 and said that it was totally unfair that we need to go to unit, you know, universal military service because right. the draft was so inequitable. So we got the all-volunteer army, and I, I did serve in that as a civilian during the surge. Right. And so I had some exposure to that. It's a different population than I, than I witnessed and was experiencing in Vietnam. It was not right. the urban black. It was, it was the poor rural white and Hispanic right. in the all-volunteer army. But it's just as inequitable. And um, the conclusion we reached is that they're both failures and we need to go to universal military service. Right. I mean, that's what Eisenhower proposed. Eisenhower said that everybody upon graduating from high yeah. school, which should be mandatory, should spend two years in UMT, in Universal Military Service. You get Army basic training. You get Army basic yeah. training. You, you go Is through Is that a- Angel agreeing back there? No, this James. No, James. I agree also, but go ahead. And then what you do is, then you have a number of options. You could serve in, uh, you could serve in, well, he didn't have it then, but you could serve in the Peace Corps. You could serve in a whole range of public service jobs for the federal government. If you're a conscientious objector. That's right. But other than that. That's how he was. That's, yes. Other than that, you are serving in the military for those two years. And I'll tell you what's so successful is the Israeli military is exactly like that. You don't have a choice. You leave high school, you're in military training, period. So what's the difference between, what's the difference between Israel and the United States? I mean, you know, they have bad neighbors, right? Right. Um, close, the only, but this is a, this is a different world and, um, bad neighbors, you know, are, are border to border, but who are our neighbors? I mean, we have, right. I, I, I read the other day in the New York times that Russian bombers are, are blasting our defenses in Alaska. Um, well, you know, we're, we're getting, we're getting hit in the South in you know, from Venezuela, uh, you know, we're, 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 you know, we got big problems in Korea. We're, we're engaged all over the world, you know, Here's and what are our, our borders are being, are, are being threatened, even though they're on a broader scale in Israel. 
Right, yeah, right. because they they we have an illegal alien invasion. That's and a lot cool. of bad people coming through. Trust me, I work for immigration and custom. Well, CBP, Customs and Border Protection. But anyways, what I'm trying to say is I agree with you. But with the uh, whole geopolitical thing, America became empire, unfortunately, and now we're seeing where empire always leads. Right. We found ourselves at the end of World War II. We found ourselves at the end of World War II as an empire. We didn't want to start out that way. That was never the intent. Um, I can go into, and and of course, Jim Sanders can uh, uh, poetically, how we got ourselves into World War II. It was not as simple as people think. We were fighting a war against Japan in the 1930s, which most people don't realize and I'd spoken, I, I spoke to this person, his name, he was a naval lieutenant commander, his name was George Hoover, George Hoover was Walt Disney's consultant for the Man in Space series in the 1950s, he invented the heads-up cockpit display, he invented a homing torpedo, this guy was a genius, there's a, a big backstory with him, but the, but the important story is that George Hoover was on patrol in a Navy cruiser, in 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 late November in 1941, out of he's dead now, out of Pearl Harbor, and they saw the Japanese fleet, and they yeah. radioed yeah. back to Pearl, and they were told to stand down. We'd broken the Japanese codes. We knew the Japanese were coming, but we had to get into World War II. That was Roosevelt's plan. And we sacrificed Pearl Harbor to do that. In well, fact, guys, we have a live caller, uh, 719. You're live on Future Theater. That's Kimmel's oh, theory of... That's Kimmel's theory of... Uh, well, hold, uh, hold on, guys. We have a caller. Hold on, guys. Go ahead. Hi. Um, I want to get back to the PTSD. This is Kevin, Colorado Springs. Hi, Kevin. I've suffered from PTSD at least two times in my life, probably more. First time was probably when I was in service. I was not that good a sailor. I'll just state that up front. But mm-hmm. a, a helicopter lost its hydraulics right above me. It didn't occur to me to y'all were talking tonight. But after that helicopter crashed, I told my chief petty officer I wanted to see the bodies. It was a psychiatric reaction that I didn't understand at the time. And the reason for that was I had to make a choice when that helicopter lost its hydraulics above me. I had to run for cover, jump over the ship, Mm -hmm. or maybe just walk to cover. But I watched five guys drop in the water and die. Mm -hmm. Right, that's heavy. That that happens. Mm -hmm. But now I became an EMT. I told you about that story where I picked up the six-year-old who got hit by the car mm-hmm. who had the amputation, and once again, I've suffered it. My point right. is, is you go out there to almost uh, just take rape victims for one example. Oh, big example. Or, yeah, or even a guy, any a person who gets not sexually assaulted, but just assaulted, mugged and robbed. It can happen that quickly to someone that right. they get PTSD. Right. I think the numbers are probably like four and five rather than one and five. They're at least three and five. Right. And, right. and, three and, and five I'll tell you, least. 
I'll tell you agree. something. The VA is not worthless, but close to it. A year right. about six months ago, I wasn't suicidal, but I said, you know, I'm, i got to talk to someone. I called the VA person. She never returned my phone call for two weeks. I finally mm. called her back and got a hold of her, and her answer, I said, why didn't you call me back? I didn't want an appointment right now, but, I, you know, that's what I was trying to do. Well, I was too busy. Mm. I haven't mm. had a thing to do with the VA since then. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, Kevin, and, brother, anytime. You know, I, the reason I'm so passionate about this PTSD is I've seen what it's done not only to me but others. I suffered through the alcoholism and depression, yeah. but I didn't turn into a Robert Bills or right. a John Eisenhower. I don't know why. Well, Maybe can you still something... you can can you still have flashbacks? Um, is this something that ever gets cured? Doctor, I, I don't think there's any. I don't, I don't think, think there's any cured. cure for this. But no, I, I, I do think that people, you know, cope better and, and get better. Um, and, you know, the, the case that, that we're just presented here with, with this crash um, is, is something that rings in my mind because, yep. you know, even though I, I was in the Vietnam War and was, then I went into training and I was in the Veterans Administration during the Vietnam War, we sort of had blindfolds. We weren't we weren't seeing what was in front of us, right. and then this book came along that just hit me right between the eyes, and it was and it was called um, <clears throat> uh, the uh, uh, survivor guilt, and oh yeah, and it, it just that and I just. You know, um, Home from War was the name of the book. It's the first book after mm-hmm. I had been in the whole thing myself and, you know, trained in the Veterans Administration. We weren't doing combat histories. Most of our patients were from Vietnam, and we weren't even taking combat histories. And, and it was just it was crazy. And, right. and then this book came along, and I read this book called Home from War. And right. it, was, wow. it was about survivor guilt. Mm. How come mm-hmm. me? And that's what mm-hmm. this gentleman is talking about. And, mm-hmm. yep. and, I, you know, and that's what you know, really got, that was the hook that got me into this. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, that, that particular book. Yeah. But, that, but that is very real. I mean, there's better men than I, and I mean this uh, wholeheartedly, I hope you understand, that didn't come back. Mm-hmm. And I'm lucky enough to, my son's going to be 18, my mm-hmm. wife, We've been married 20 years now, and she's went through it out of my 30 years of doing things. She's went through it 20 years. So, well, James, James, what are some coping mechanisms that you practice when you feel, let's say, a bad thing coming on? Does anger kind of bring it up, and then you think, I have to – in other words, what happens when you feel you might be getting in trouble? What do you do? Oh, I reach oh. out with uh-huh. the quickness call uh-huh. oh yeah I, I have my bros there they're on my phone speed dial yeah, skype see james that's just one aspect of this ptsd because it's not just military people that get it i agree right. with you it, it can be so civilians what do the i civilians said do like you were talking about earlier about the homeless people homeless vets haven't been in the service for 30 years 
But right. they're experiencing these things because of their service 30 years ago. Right. And they haven't and, and that, out to someone in 30 years. You know you what? Know? That That is the shame of it. That's the shame of our American system. Is it is. It is veterans. because we have the money to study this problem, don't we? Can't and the brains. Well, we are. We have the money now. I believe um, at NYU uh, there is a grant uh, for uh, the the uh, neuroimaging of post-traumatic stress disorder, which is ah. indi- independent of mm-hmm. the government. And the ah. guy who's doing it, uh, Charles Marmer. Um, comes out of the Veterans Administration where he was getting really close to identifying some structures that were altered wow. in, in, wow. the, in the neuroimaging of post-traumatic mm. stress disorder patients in the VA in San Francisco, and I suspect that he got frustrated. I don't know for sure, but anyways, he is but now, he is now, now in the NYU chairman of the Department of Psychiatry with a huge multi-multi-million dollar grant nice. uh, to, to do mm. neuroimaging of, of um, not only, uh, I believe it's military veterans, but uh, also civilians, and, uh, and, and you that's, know what that, um, that's what yeah, we need. That's what we need. Bill got all his all his degrees from NYU, including now, Doc. His, so maybe he could go and say hello. Well, that that's a, a very very important program. I know this guy. Uh, <clears throat> he's probably one of the best research. There aren't that many good researchers in post traumatic stress disorder. Um, now, you can count them on 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 your on you know one hand as far as I'm concerned, um, but. He's one of them, and uh, thank God he's out of the um, the control of the uh, <clears throat> politicians now, and he's yeah. free and and uh, able to uh, do objective research. And uh, I think that we can be, uh, you know, optimistic uh, that um, that he's going to find something. Now, Doc, I have a real quick question. And you're, you sound like you're the man that knows what's going on. I mean that. Uh, TBI, traumatic brain injury, I have a bro with that. Well, a couple of them. And what that is is when they're driving around in the uh, mine-resistant armored personnel vehicles, um, there's a large percentage of people that survive explosions now. But they'll get uh-huh. what's called TBI, traumatic brain injury. But they're also going to get touched with PTSD. Right. Now, how will that study be able to differentiate? Because, I mean, I have bros it's a really that good question. function yeah. perfectly that had it and PTSD, just like me. But then I have other bros that are out there where the buses stopped running. Well, I, I had somewhat the, the misfortune and the luxury of being able to spend as much time as necessary on um, troops returning from the surge. Okay. And, uh, you know, I studied them and did what I had to do. And, and uh, uh, it, it takes like about two hours uh, to determine, you know, whether a person has post-concussion syndrome or has post-traumatic stress disorder or both. Now, okay. the individual, the individual who hits an IED uh, in a striker and gets tossed around, okay, uh-huh. 
and then jumps out and and chases the guy, you know, with a cell phone and shoots him. Yeah. All right. He has post-traumatic stress disorder, but he also right. has a traumatic brain injury because yeah. he remembers he remembers what happened. Right. Okay. Now, the guy who comes in and got knocked around in that vehicle and doesn't remember, um, right. he might just be more traumatic brain injury. Okay. On the other hand, there are people that are in their traumatic brain injury program who didn't have traumatic brain injuries. They just they they have amnesia, uh, but it's retrograde amnesia. It goes backwards. That's not a traumatic brain injury. Right. Post traumatic stress disorder. Right. You know the diagnostics are, um, let's say somewhat short of being adequate these days. Mm. And it's not wow. that hard to tell mm. a traumatic brain injury from post-traumatic stress disorder from awesome. both. Now, the, awesome. neurologist, the neurologist where I was working was so frustrated because he could not get a psychiatric consultation on all the people that were coming into his TBI clinic. Mm. He really? was so frustrated that he finally mm. just basically challenged the Surgeon General and said, you know, I want a psychiatrist next to me so I can get a consult because I can't get a consult from the psychiatric department in this hospital because there aren't any psychiatrists there. Wow. And this is a major psychiatric, this is a major hospital in the United States military. He got his own psychiatrist in the traumatic brain injury center because he couldn't get a psychiatric consult. Wow. And you multiply that by the number of vets that are coming back every day, every week, every year. It has a cumulative effect. And it's almost like we're, we really are. We're probably 50 years behind the curve on what we should have been studying 50 (laughs) years ago. I Uh, agree. Just plain and simple. Well, but that's very political. Because you know when you start when you start talking about one in one in five, which is a you know the research is you know the Rand Corporation, which was uh, contracted by the Defense Department or whoever, uh, you know found one in five you know combat veterans with four tours of duty has post traumatic stress disorder. What a that's shocking. What's shocking about that? You know, I mean, I would think it's a hundred percent. Why wouldn't yeah. they want the numbers to be high? Why would they suppress they the numbers? That's money. The point, Nancy. They That's did. exactly right. It is one about in, money. One in five is not that high. Two and five, right. three and five would be high and would shock the American people enough right. to do something. Yeah. Yeah. One in five is no right. big deal to the That's American right. people. That, That's it, right. It, it, it's, it, one in five is... You know, hey, you know, most, it's sort of like shaming the person who has yes. it because, you know, yes. you know, most people have done okay, you know, and have made it through, but you're one of those that didn't, like, right. you must be right. weak is the implication. Right. And, and, and that, they hit the men with that. But I, I right. think, That's I think right. it, yes. when you said money, I'm going to tell you why the money, the VA mm-hmm. system would go broke if they had to pay everybody right. with with PTSD, exactly. which is a hundred percent, 
That's right. They would get they would get broke because they have to pay them at their pay rate. That's the bottom line percentage. of the whole thing, they, they, right? They, money. And look at the guy. Look at the guy who who breached. I mean, we talk about this in our book, Psychiatric Criminology. Look at the guy who scaled the White House and and actually got into the White House and actually was on his way to the second floor. Here's you a guy. Story yet? Here, what? Here's you a guy. Oscar Gonzalez with a serrated knife. Exactly. This guy, Gonzalez, who basically could not get the treatment he wanted from the VA. Not what he wanted, what he needed. Yes, exactly. Exactly. He he, he couldn't get it. And and he basically decomposed to the point where he he had no place else to go. And that's what's happening to so many of our combat veterans. There's just no yep. place to go. The VA is no help. Look at the shooter at Fort Hood. Not Hassan, but the second one, Ivan yeah, Lopez. 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 Right. Lopez. Well, how can yeah. people, I mean, we, don't have, we have five minutes left or less. Right. How can communities help? How can people who are listening help? What can people do to take it into their own hands to start healing our family members, our friends? How do we help? Since you we're the support system. You want to hear a simple answer from a simple person, and I'm mm-hmm. not a doctor. Mm-hmm. You see a veteran. You talk to people. It's what happened on 9-12 after 9-11. We actually shook hands, talked to people, and asked them in a minute, how are you doing? How's your day? We're not doing that no more. It's societal. But and we can't find but we don't see vets. We don't see vets well, because vets don't always wear their Right, because, because this is a mercenary army, and it's, uh, we need to get away from that. We need to take this all-volunteer army, as we said in our book, Wounded Minds, buy out their contracts. They have a contract, and they're being breached all over the place. Unlike the draftee, these guys have contracts. We need to buy out those contracts, give them... Uh, platinum Obamacare so that they can go home with money and and treatment available instead of waiting for 450 days in New York City to see their claims investigator to see whether oh, they, yeah. they see that whether they were exposed to a trauma that might have hurt them and who are these claims that we need to get rid of these medical evaluation boards in the military and we have to get rid of these uh, pension yep. and compensation examinations and the veterans admission just get rid of them uh, they're worthless Oscar Gonzalez had them and he was mm-hmm. a guy I think that he was going to cut off the the heads of the first family and he got pretty close that's right well, it was I, I ha- I have to disagree here. about calling it a mercenary army. It's not. If you want to call somebody a mercenary, I'll take that. Well, I, you know, it depends, I I, 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 depends it. on what you mean by a mercenary. I did see some foreigners. I did see some foreigners, uh, and, and uh, I would say they were mercenaries. I, I'm, I'm using the term very broadly. I'd, yeah. Uh, I, it, I, I'd just stick has, with volunteer army. <laughs> Yeah, it's a pejorative. Yes. And uh I agree and I but I represent that and I'm fine with that. Look, to me I've lived this game for a long time. But our troops, they deserve nothing but respect from me and everybody else. So that's right. the only reason why I brought that up, Doc, with all respect. And I'm yeah, sorry. Oh, oh, you know, I I, I, I agree with you 100%. I'm just saying we need to buy they have a contract they were recruited. Yes, they, they have a contract. Yeah. We need to buy them out and get them some help. 
I agree with all the rest of what you said. I yeah. can't disagree. And and we really should go back to universal military training. Yes. Universal military training. I agree. I mean, the that only is, solution. There is yeah, no other is. solution. Right, exactly, right. because you have this division in society in which there are people who serve, and I, you know, right. I'm speaking as a person who basically did not go to Vietnam, but um, you're, there are these people who serve, and there are people who don't have to serve, and, and you right. marginalize the very That's people right. that are protecting the country. Yep, That's they're right. They're marginalized, and Bill, they're marginalized in the service, <coughs> and they're marginalized when they come home, and they're marginalized in their treatment because they re- – I mean at Madigan Army Hospital, John writes about this, and we write about this in the book of Wounded Minds. There were a, there, there's a group of forensic psychiatrists who are actually rewriting the diagnoses to save money, rewriting the diagnoses <laughs> of people who were diagnosed <coughs> with PTSD. Mute thyself. Oh, it's I'm so sorry. Okay. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Yeah, uh, no, uh, they were actually rewriting those diagnoses to save money. And that was a big scandal in the Senate. That was a and big scandal. And going around saying that that's why they're doing it. Exactly. To save money. Yeah. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. I mean, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, it and then you have Robert Gates in the Senate saying, well, um, uh, the United States military was never meant to have um, a life annuity at the end of it. But I mean, yeah. that's huh. the insanity of that thing. Right. We get it. It's not an insurance company, but right. what do you do when you have people who need that insurance? Well, Bill, right. here, here's a quick example I can but give James, you. Make it quick. To, we got we we to wrap up. We okay. have to wrap up. Yeah. Yeah. God okay, we got you got 30 okay. seconds. Go. 30 seconds. Go. Ha- have a great night. I'm sorry. I didn't. Okay. Yeah. That's <laughs> no, no, no. no, we're well, out of okay. time. Never mind. Uh, right. Stay tuned for Art Bell on Midnight <laughs> in the Desert. Uh, awesome. His guest is Don Ecker. Uh, and, 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 and no. Don Ecker is going to be on Richard Hoagland tonight. Who's Art's guest tonight, Angel? I have no idea, but stick around. You'll find out. Soon. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so stay tuned for Midnight in the Desert uh, for Art Bell. Then stick around for Richard C. Hoagland after Art Bell. And from the banks of Primrose Creek and beautiful downtown Silbury Village, thank you, John Liebert. Thank you, James. Thank you, Kevin, for calling in. Well, thank you for sharing your your experiences. Thank you, everybody. Next week, it's Philippe Mora, and we're talking about Christopher Lee. And I'm trying to line up, if Rick Lertzman helps me out, I'm trying to line up the actor Marvin Kaplan, who is the last living member of the Mercury Theater of the Air. Gotta go who was on War of the Worlds in 1938. Gotta go. Thanks, everybody. We are your co-hosts. Bill, that's me and Nancy Burns. Hi. 